Welcome to Health Creators, where we discuss new creations in healthcare and building the future of health innovation. This is Liv. I'm a health tech founder in the clinical trial space, and I'm joined here today by Ed Ferrer, founder of Auto, defining the future of coping with the incurable. So tell me about Auto. Uh, I'll tell you the short version, I'll tell you the long version. Okay. Uh, Auto, we uh, a digital health startup. And yeah. The uh, the aim of the company mm. is to help people get their lives back from a condition yeah. called tinnitus. And just the ears, right? Yeah, the so ringing. A, yeah. So it's common experiences ringing yeah. ears. Uh, it's really unpleasant for mm. lots of people that have it. Um, it's yeah. Just like a constant ringing sound. Yeah. Um, stops you from sleeping, concentrating, mm. mental health. Yeah. Um, stops you from hearing occasionally. So um, we help people to get their lives back from this condition. You yeah. Digital CBT program. Okay. Um, and successful through the environment. That was meant to be the short version, but that's actually turned out to be the long version. That's the long version. Is that not usually a symptom of something else? So like, like um, this ringing in your ears. Is that like usually like, hey, I have, I don't know, some sort of disease, and then I get ringing in my ears, or is it like a standalone? Uh, it depends. So yeah, tin- you're right. Tinnitus is a symptom mm. of the underlying cause. Uh, yeah. That cause could be anything from, well, the two, two most common causes are hearing damage from noise exposure. Yeah. So it's common in the military, common in musicians, uh, in okay. industry, in, in industry workers. Um, and the second most common cause is mm. uh, hearing loss related to um, age, so age-related hearing loss. Got it. But and there's a load of other things that could cause it, like earwax, an infection, a brain tumour in, you know, in severe cases. Did you have this idea because you used to be in the military or related to that? Yeah. yeah so uh, I'm a doctor uh, by background. Um, I yeah. spent five years in the RAF. I wanted to train to be a surgeon. The RAF, like in airplanes. Yeah, yeah. The, so yeah. the Air Force, yeah. Um, well, I didn't do much flying. I was a doctor. Um, so what do you sit on the airplane and then you're like, you're there in case like someone blows up? Uh, unfortunately, no. I never, I never. So that takes a lot of training to get to that. Oh, stage. really? So, okay. Yeah, so I actually I was going to train to uh, become a surgeon. Mm. Um, so I was dead set on becoming a plastic surgeon. Ooh, um, like reconstructive. Yeah, or... burns. Burns. Okay, burns. Hand yeah. As well. Hand surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is that plastic right. surgery? Is hand surgery? Yeah. So what does um, that mean? Yeah, so hand surgery is uh, can commonly be either pl- looked after by plastic surgeons or orthopedic surgeons. Is that when you like burn, say, like the surface of your hands, and then someone needs to like come and graft like the skin? Yeah, so that 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 could be a part yeah. of the surgery. Um, basically, any uh, injury to the yeah. to the soft tissue or the bones of the hand that needs repairing, it's usually plastic surgeons that do that. So why didn't you do plastic surgery? So I did. Two years of training mm-hmm. uh, in the military. Yeah, as part of the part of the military, it was in an NHS hospital, mm. and I very quickly realised that uh, in the long term, although I enjoyed it, it wasn't yeah. what I wanted to, to dedicate my life to. I see. Um, and I found the, I found it rewarding, um, particularly towards the beginning of my mm. career. I found it very rewarding, like having the impact on. Uh, on patients on an individual level yeah but um, I kind of wanted to do something Mm. that was bigger and have a bigger impact on lots of people because with uh, being a doctor you felt like things were very one to one 
Exactly. And you're like, how do I scale that to make it one to like a million? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so this um, kind of ringing in your ears problem, um, did you see that a lot in the military? And that's why you decided to start this? Yeah. So uh, when I was in the military, mm-hmm. um, two things happened. Uh, the first thing was I developed sensors myself. Did you? Yeah. So Why is that? So you were on these airplanes? No. No, it wasn't. It's just, no. Is, it the, is it the guns? So uh, um, it's actually a coincidence that mm. I had tinnitus and was in the military. Okay, so um, it wasn't related. I don't think yeah. so. Um, I certainly didn't have a huge amount of noise exposure. Mm. I think it's probably because uh, I used to listen to, to music too loudly mm. with headphones. Really? Yeah. So what? Can you develop this from listening to music too loud? Yeah, just repeated noise exposure can cause Mm. tinnitus. It's actually going to cause a lot of tinnitus over the next decade because just we listen to music too loudly. And concerts, you know? Mm. Like, I have a friend who is partially deaf, Mm. and there's no other reason except for going to, like, music festivals. Yeah, it's... uh, as a society, I yeah. do very little to protect young people's hearing yeah. from loud music. But you know, the crazy thing is, like, I went to a music festival this summer, and people bring their babies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I don't just, know, like, what happens bad. to like the development of your ears if you're that young, right? And yeah, it, it depends on how loud the music is and how close yeah. you are to the speakers. True. Thing is. It's perfectly acceptable to go to, you know, I don't want people to think you, you shouldn't go to music festivals and listen to loud music. Yeah. Provided that, A, you wear hearing protection. Mm. You can buy ear, ear, earplugs online, good earplugs for, for, you know, less than 20 pounds. Mm. Um, and secondly, you give your ears a break. So don't listen to loud music for extended periods of time. Yeah. Because uh, that's, that's when the risk increases. So you had this ringing. If you stop listening to music on your earphones, does it go away? Uh, the tinnitus in most cases doesn't go away it's mm. caused by hearing damage so from from my perspective my experience i was uh i was pretty lucky yeah i got used to it quite quickly so you, uh, you still have the ringing but you're used to it yeah so um mm. I, I should probably mention actually so for most people with tinnitus yeah it's permanent and that's Gosh. why it's so unpleasant because you're stuck with this ringing noise and it just never goes away it never goes away and if you imagine having a ringing noise for, you know, for the next hour, mm. for the next week, you think, oh God. I so can't. is it constant? Yeah. How do you like sleep? Exactly. So I, the, yeah. I'll, I'll explain how. So um, for me, it's, it was fairly faint. And this is really important because it's how our app works. I got used to it quite quickly and I stopped noticing it. Interesting. So if you imagine being on a long plane journey. Yeah. Like, you know, flying to America or Canada or something. Mm. The sound of the aircraft engines are pretty loud and it's not a pleasant sound. Yeah. But after like 10 minutes or so, your brain just tunes that sound out and you stop noticing it. You stop perceiving it as a threat uh, and you can sleep. And why why is it that some people are able to essentially like 
downplay it, right? Like almost like, I mean, that's a natural response because usually um, you don't notice a smell until you go into a room and you smell something really pungent, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've been in that room for like three hours, mm -hmm. you're not going to notice it. Yeah. Um, so why does that response happen in some people like you and not in others? Well, it happens in all people, actually. Okay. Um, so it's the, the response is called, the psychological word for that is called habituation. Yeah. So habituation is the process by which your brain stops mm. reacting negatively yeah. to the to the stimulus, in this case, tinnitus. Yeah. So, you know, the case where you're on a, on a flight for a long time, your brain would stop reacting negatively to it. You don't perceive it as a threat. Mm. You stop noticing it. Um, and that's how our program works in Otto. We habituate people to the sound mm. of tinnitus. So they stop noticing it. They push the sound into the background. Um, they no longer perceive it as a threat, and it doesn't it doesn't make them anxious. So for people with tinnitus, when they first start hearing that sound, their natural fixation on it yeah, is that yeah. Exactly. Their natural reaction is got it. Ah, I can't cope with this. Like, and that makes them anxious. And it makes it worse. And it makes it worse. Yeah. Exactly. So if you can interrupt that cycle mm. and gradually just push it into the background and stop perceiving yeah. it as a threat. So like when I hear my tinnitus now, um, admittedly it's not that loud, but when I do notice it, I just think, oh, it's my tinnitus. Doesn't bother mm. me. Yeah, it's not going to cause me any issues. But it's at like, first, yeah. it, was, it was like, oh, God, that's not a nice sound. So it's kind of like um, insomnia, right? Mm. Where it's like, <clears throat> I can't sleep, I can't sleep, like, I can't fucking sleep. And, like, it just reinforces the yeah. fact that you can't sleep. Yeah. So is that kind of like the same thing where it's like, okay, mm. you now have this lifelong condition and you're going to hear ringing forever. Yeah. How do we make it easier for people to cope with it? Yes, exactly that. So if you wake up in the morning, an example would be if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you hear when you wake up, the first thing mm. you notice when you wake up is your tinnitus. And in the early days, what will happen is that that will make people anxious. Yeah. And they will think, shit, my day is going to be so bad now because I've, because I've got this ringing noise and I can't cope. Yeah. And that's their day ruined. Like it's literally within minutes of them waking up, their day is ruined. Mm. If you've habituated to it, You'd wake up, and this is what we teach in the yeah. You'd wake up and you'd hear your tinnitus and think, so what? It's not hurting me. Yeah, it's annoying, but it's not mm. ruining my day, and I can just stop noticing it, and I'll do something else yeah. to distract myself from it. And was this born out of, like, you feeling super frustrated by the situation? So it was actually born out of um, yeah. a combination of things. So my co-founder, George, has tinnitus, mm. um, but he had it quite a lot worse than I did, and he struggled mm. with it. So he kind of... Um, and he's he's technical or yeah he is okay yeah, yeah. so when he first started mm. struggling with it he kind of remembered that, that that experience and we both actually saw men and women in the military yeah who had pretty severe tinnitus and mm. it's having a big impact on their quality of life and that's kind of when we realized okay this, yeah this is a big problem that needs solving um the help that's currently available for it is just not just, great yeah <laughs> like, really yeah what is available now? So there's no cure. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, you can't get rid of it and it won't go away. Best way to manage tinnitus is with cognitive behavioural therapy. To access CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, in the NHS is pretty difficult. You really? You be waiting over a year. Yeah. And you could be waiting over a year for one or two sessions with a the therapist. Mm. It might not be that beneficial. Um, if you want to pay privately, you can, but it's prohibitively yeah. expensive for most people. So yeah, so to access the best treatment for tinnitus, 
uh, is just very difficult. And in the US, it's similarly difficult because it's expensive and there's not that many therapists that are trained to provide CBT. So if you had like kids now, right? And I don't know if you have kids or whatever, but if you had kids, do you think you would like be super cautious with what they listen to and how they listen to things because uh, of, I, yeah. yeah I, I would try. I mean, yeah. would it make a difference? I was, my parents constantly used to tell me like, stop listening to music, see lovely. Mm. You know, I was like classic, like arrogant teenager. And I was like, oh, yeah. you know, I know better than you do. And uh, funnily enough, I didn't know better than, than, than them. And uh, How old were you when this kicked in? Uh, my tinnitus? Yeah. It was around five years ago. So you're like... 20 yeah 25 24 25 mm-hmm. and um and then what the doctors just said this is gonna be forever now I, I never saw a doctor for it you um, never saw a doctor still no but you are a doctor so well, you're like yeah, i'm just I like so for, i'm my own yeah so i think i would have yeah. done if it had come on suddenly but it came on came on pretty gradually gradual. and oh. it gradually got worse most I people see. when they have it it can, it can come on it can come on suddenly you know i spoke to my i spoke to george and and he'd had a his had come on actually a lot more suddenly and he did mm. go to the doctor for his. Most people do go to the doctor. Yeah. That's actually part of where the problem lies. When you go to the doctor, the doctor will tell you something along the lines of, sorry, mate, you need to just learn to live with it. There's nothing that can be done. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Is that a UK thing or is that yeah. global? That's everyone with tinnitus has been told. Everyone has been told that. Yeah. I've spoken to hundreds of people with tinnitus now. Mm. Not all of them, but like, 99% have been told something like that. Imagine going to a doctor with this horrendous, horrendous thing is literally ruining yeah. your life and you're like, I can't cope with this. And you go to the doctor and you sit down and you think, okay, this is, I'm going to get this sorted now. The doctor's going to be able to help me. Yeah. And then the doctor says, just looks at you and says, I'm sorry, I can't do anything to help you. You still have to live with it. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, like, that's why tinnitus is so unpleasant because there is no help. Is your end goal to actually build something that will treat this at some point? Or is it just like, let's manage it? I don't think you need to treat it. Mm. You can have a perfectly normal life with loud tinnitus. Like, and it's, yeah. it's quite, it's obviously easy for me to sit here and say this because I don't have loud tinnitus, but I've spoken to plenty of people that have had loud tinnitus who have just stopped mm. noticing it and they've gone back to living their normal life. Would I want a cure? Of course. Like, if you know, if someone said to me tomorrow, "There's a cure for tinnitus," I'd you know, I'd be open to it because it has a big impact on people's lives. But w- what I want to do with Otto, the end goal to answer to your, answer your question, um, we want to take what we've learned for tinnitus, habituating mm. people to tinnitus, to anything else that yeah. has a negative, like any other conditions that have an impact on your life. So, I think there's a lot that we can learn from managing tinnitus, incorporate that into other unpleasant. I see. So it's like, okay, CBT for one specific thing. Mm. And then can we cross apply that to other types of management? Right. Um, Because I guess when you're thinking about even like pain, a lot of it is going to be like chronic. It's 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 more about how do you manage it than how do you fix it? Yeah. A lot of these uh, so, you know, take a condition like mm. chronic pain, for example. It's particularly unpleasant for, 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 for so many people that have it. It's really yeah. difficult. However, what makes it so unpleasant is the emotional reaction mm. to it. And it's the same with tinnitus. Like, you have these horrible conditions like IBS, incurable, chronic pain, long COVID, something yeah. like that. 
what makes these things so difficult to manage for people is that they feel like they can't cope. The emotional reaction to the condition um, in many ways mm. is just as bad as the condition itself. Yeah. I think if we can introduce the world, introduce habituation to the mm. world, like people don't know what habituation is, but if we can uh, if we can teach people that habituation is the right way to manage these types of things and the right way to manage these yeah. conditions, we can actually make these conditions 10 times more bearable than they are right now. Got it. And how long have you been working on this? Full time, um, about two years. Two years. Okay. What were you? So you came from the military straight into doing auto. Yeah. So I quit. I I quit the military. Uh, I finished my second year of surgical training. Mm. Quit the military, and then I started working on auto. But I could only work on auto part time because we didn't have any funding. So uh, what were you doing? The other uh, parts. I was, I was I was working in A and E. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I just I just opened to the doctor, so I had to yeah um kind of like pay myself to live. But uh, it was during the it was during the second wave of COVID. Oh god! So I'd work on. It sounds like a kind of a classic like entrepreneur, like you know, kill yourself and to make a successful story. But like, yeah, I, I was I was working during the week on Otto, and then at weekends I'd work in A and E, and I'd go into A and E, and it'd be like a billion people with COVID. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, staff would be crying, like patients shouting, crying. God, this is, yeah, it was pretty. It was um. Yeah, it was a pretty... Uh, was it like super intense? Like A&E during COVID? Uh, very, very intense. Yeah. Were there um, like people like dying everywhere? Um, but you were well, second yeah. wave, so it wasn't as bad or? Well, I think it was worse. It's worse. Actually, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was, you know, I was a surgical trainee, so I didn't have the expertise to be managing the really, the really sick ones. Mm. Um, but, you know, still it was a very difficult time and I'm, like, it was obviously a lot more difficult for the, the people that had COVID. Um, yeah. I think I'd probably, if I were to go back, I probably wouldn't push myself so hard and I probably wouldn't have worked so many shifts um, or maybe would have taken it a bit more slowly with, with Otto, but I'm incredibly impatient. And, yeah, uh, but you wanted the results faster. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how did like working at any during the pandemic kind of like shift your view on healthcare like where we are today um, yeah i'd made my mind up that i didn't want to work in the nhs um and that confirmed it you think yeah it did i mean yeah. like it was under a huge amount of strain and, mm. and pressure and my decision had been made when the nhs wasn't under that uh, strain and pressure but like seeing what i'd seen during covid mm. had just exacerbated all the problems that, that the nhs already had um, yeah, I found it a very uh, frustrating experience to work as a doctor and a, and a surgeon because I've really loved operating and like was, cutting people yeah. open. <laughs> <laughs> like that. like, no, that's, that's, you know, it's all yeah. like that. That's, that's why they that's why mm. they, do they do because it's it's immensely rewarding. But you know, to, to have a day of of op- if I was spending a day in in theatres, um, supposedly mm. operating, I'd probably only spend about. 10 to 20 percent of my time actually doing the surgery and the rest of the time would be yeah admin associated with that and you were like i do not like this admin yeah of course and i think yeah. a lot of it was like unnecessary admin as well mm. um, something that could have easily been automated <laughs> but i know how difficult it is to make change within the nhs yeah um but it's just so so complex to make these changes mm. um i would have quit if i kept doing it i think i see 
And how is it moving from like the military, right? Which is like the most regimented structure ever, uh, where you have like process on process, hierarchy on hierarchy, like, you know, things happen at OO, whatever, right? Uh, Into like startup land. I actually think it's been a lot of the stuff I learned in the military uh, has taught me a lot about Mm. leadership. Yeah. And discipline, self-discipline. Um, yeah. I was never really heavily integrated with the military because I was working in an NHS hospital. Got it. So I was actually doing, I, I spent like a year doing only military stuff. Um, but I still learned a lot in that year. So it's actually been, a, I think it was a, a really rewarding and positive experience. Mm. But there's still been things that um, I think I've taken from that that probably aren't appropriate for, for startup life. So... I'm pretty anal about um, being on time. Yeah, and, that's like, good. Time. I yeah. know, but sometimes it's, I go a bit too far, you know. Um, what, like when people are late, you're like... Yeah, it just, it yeah. just, it just, annoys, <laughs> it just annoys me when it, when it yeah. shouldn't do. Um, but I was never like a, a very, very... See, some people go into the military and it's just so, so right for them because they just love, mm, they love structure. They love the structure. Yeah. And I was never like quite like that you know i enjoyed it yeah it was good for me and i learned a lot from it but because you have to go from rule follower to rule breaker essentially <laughs> right yeah uh yeah was, yeah i think i was kind of in the middle of that mm. because i was working in the nhs and i was i only spent actually one year doing any military things how is it moving from like surgery right where you don't really have to necessarily spend a lot of time talking to people um, into founder, which is, hey, my job as CEO is to essentially talk to people all the time. Mm-hmm. Not If not, you know, the people I'm trying to help, mm-hmm. then the people who are um, supporting us, fundraising, uh, to the team, to everyone, right? The whole, the whole thing is about, um, a lot of it is about communication. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, it, there actually is a lot of that in surgery. Mm. Um, it's just not as you'd expect. So yeah. it, it, you, you do need to be able to, to be good at talking to patients. Surgeons do have a reputation of mm. not being good at talking yeah. to patients, but it's still very important. And to be a good surgeon, you need to be good at that. Uh, you also need to be good at managing a team of people, yeah. like a theatre team or like um, the ward team. Um, and actually, I spent, especially as a junior surgeon, I spent a lot of my time mm. um, just convincing people to do things that they weren't keen on doing. So, for example, like you know, if you want to request a scan or an X-ray yeah. or a CT scan, you know, you ring the radiologist and you say, hello, can I request a scan, please? And they'll do everything they can to try and not do that scan. <laughs> And you have to convince yeah. them why it's in the patient's interest to do that scan. Um, yeah, and that's just an example. And there's there's lots of there's lots of uh, scenarios like that for you. Being good with people really does help. Mm. Um, and there are surgeons that I don't think are good with people, but I think all the best ones are just as good with people as the you know the best medical doctors, or GPs. Got it. And are you guys B to C? I know that sounds like a random question, yeah. but yeah, no, so, yeah, interesting question. So. We are with Iris Consumer. Yeah. The reason we did that was because we um, just wanted to focus on building the best product. Yeah. Like a product that our users love. And we felt the best way to validate that was by seeing how many of them paid for it and how long they paid for it for. That's cool. And you have paying users now? 
Yeah, yeah. Nice. How have you managed, like, I'm guessing you're a class 2A? Nope. No. Without a medical advice. At all? No. How did you navigate that? Uh, with um, finesse. <laughs> with finesse. <laughs> In my head. Okay. No, yeah. it's, it's, look, it's, so we don't treat tinnitus. Mm. We don't cure tinnitus. Uh, and we don't claim to treat or cure tinnitus. Yeah. So the way the app works is by teaching people to stop mm. noticing it. We're not actually doing anything to the condition itself. We're changing the body's response to the condition. Got it. So um, if we were delivering treatments to tinnitus directly, or we were delivering therapy for tinnitus directly, then we would be a medical device, would be a class one medical device. But we don't do that. We just change the body's reaction to it. Yeah. So we don't we don't track the condition. We don't, mm. uh, we don't measure the condition. We don't monitor the condition. All we do is change the way you react to it. So we're helping yeah. on the side. Interesting. That's a good angle mm, I mean, because it makes product development easier as well, right? Yeah. It's a lot yeah. Cheaper. So <laughs> it means we can make changes faster. Yeah. It's cheaper. Um, but if you look at what Headspace do for yeah. anxiety, you know, Headspace helps people manage anxious thoughts. And if you look on the website, they're very, very careful. Yeah. You read it and you think this this is just for anxiety. But then if you look at the wording they've used, they'll say Headspace helps with anxious thoughts. Yeah, um, so they're very clever with the language, and we have to be we have to be very careful with the language we use because um, you can't market it no, basically we, no, we as like to, a exactly. solution. Exactly, we don't want to market it as mm. a, uh, we don't want to market it as a uh, a treatment for tinnitus because it's not. Yeah, you know, so we have to be very um, we have to be accurate about what we're. What it's saying. a it's a coping mechanism. Mm, exactly. And how has like building you know this company shifted maybe your life? Um, I wonder if if you had the opposite effect where most people, they kind of build a startup and life gets like significantly more intense. Right. But like, I wonder if you moving from like, hey, I'm like uh, in A&E, like shoveling dead bodies during the pandemic into into like now I'm a startup founder. Was that like was that like a descaling almost? Uh it's still very intense in many different ways. Yeah. But it's intense in a much more enjoyable way. Yeah. Like the emotional roller coaster is there, but maybe not yeah. as like... It's more extreme. Yeah. So, so you have higher highs and, and lower lows. In, you know in startups. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll know that. Um, but that's what kind of what makes it so addictive. Mm. Um, I think just creating something from scratch, creating a product from scratch, creating a company from scratch. Yeah. It's just so like, cool. I just love it. It's so... Uh, it's so exciting. It's so rewarding. I love working with people. I'm very lucky to work with like a very, yeah, like a very very talented group of people who are you know a lot better at um, everything than I am. Um, and you know, it's my job just to kind of facilitate them and remove things that are slowing them down. Um, so it's uh, and also of course motivate them and define the vision and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's, it's very mm. rewarding. Uh, I the other thing that I kind of love about it is that because I'm a CEO and a co-founder. I can define the culture. Yeah. Or I am defining the culture and the kind of how the company is and what we want to do. And in the NHS, um, of course, the NHS is an organization, <laughs> but I think there was lots of problems with the culture. Well, from from speaking to people, it seems like it's like super hierarchy. Yeah. You know, it's all about tenure and yeah. like um, bow down to to you know the consultants who made it right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's all of that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's very, very hierarchical in medicine mm. and nursing. And I think that, I do think there's a, there's a blame culture in the NHS as well. Mm. Uh, and if you make a mistake, which is impossible not to do, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. Um, it's whose fault is it? Yes. The, the, the first thing yeah. is, who is to blame? Who do we need to blame for this, for this yeah. thing that happened? And then there's no protection for the person whose mm. fault it was. They will just pin this person against... You know, they'll pin this person down. And, you and, scapegoat them. Exactly. Yeah. And there's been so many cases in the news where yeah. that has happened. And I think, like, if you mm. compare the culture of the, the NHS to in the aviation industry, people are encouraged to own up about mistakes they've made. Yeah. People are encouraged to come forward with things that have gone wrong because that's how you prevent them from happening in the first in, you know, in the first place, right? Yeah. To create systems to prevent things from happening. But in the NHS, as wonderful as it is, and it is amazing as we have a we have a free healthcare service. I certainly felt personally that mm. you know you don't want to come forward with mistakes um, yeah. if something bad's happened because there's a potential that you could be blamed for that. And when you're like building out this culture, right? I mean, I think it's interesting that you came from the military because the hard thing about hard things, right? Or like mm. this culture book that is written by Ben Horowitz. Mm. He's always like you kind of lead the culture by example and he gives like reference to what makes a good general what makes a bad general um but i think when i first started this i was like hey like let's make a a 12 page pdf on like what the culture should be right and it was just so wrong because you can't really like dictate how people should behave People will come in with their own predefined cultures, right? You're right. Uh, Mm. The culture is encouraged and shaped by you as the CEO, Mm. but it's defined by the first, probably the first 10 people, 20 people that Mm. join the company because um, people bring in their own way of doing things. People bring in their own systems that they learn from elsewhere. People have their own own personalities and their own character traits that will, you know, mesh, go, go into the company and that's, that's what's so cool about about doing this is you, yeah. you know and it's one of the things I'm very proud of at Otto. We have a group of people with insanely different perspectives mm. um, from all walks of life, yeah. personally and professionally, and that just means that we get. Uh, I think often we get we get the right decisions and we get the right the right things happening because um, people just have different perspective on Got these it. things. Um, so yeah, like but you know going back to what you said about uh, Ben Horowitz's book. Um, I think you have to be, once these kind of values are defined and once the culture is defined, you do have to, enforce is a very military word and a, a strong word, but I think you do have to enforce them. You do have to encourage good behaviours, behaviours that you've all agreed on, behaviours that have been yeah. defined. So that's like um, incentivizing people to exactly. follow that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Manage the macros yeah, exactly. kind of thing. Yeah, rewarding good behaviours. Yeah. Um, What's what's been the most rewarding thing for you in this journey? I mean, there's so many things that have been rewarding. It's difficult to pick one. I I, I really do love working with the people I work with. Mm. I just I wake up on a Monday morning, and before I used to wake up on a Monday morning and say, "Oh, God, God. Mm. I work again." So yeah, and you know, it'll be fine. I get to Tuesday or Wednesday and be like, "Actually, it's not that bad." Yeah. But with this, I wake up on Sunday. I'm like, right, like I'm so excited. I'm ready to, like, to go. Get to work. Yeah. And, you know, get everyone. Yeah. Motivated and see everyone and you know. 
It's awesome. I'll give my co-founder and, <laughs> and yeah, it's great. Go shout at some people. <laughs> oh, no, I don't shout. I don't, I don't shout at anyone. You know? we, we, we do have some. Um, yeah, have we, heated we, we moments. Do have some, some, some yeah, debates, but that's good. You know, like it's good. That's what yeah. like the we call it like productive conflict, mm. um, and the conflict is what makes people feel engaged and what makes people feel yeah. like they're contributing to the to the decision. If you could leave the world with one thing through auto, what would that be? What's the impact you want to make? The impact I want to make, I want to be able to habituate anyone to mm. anything. I want habituation to be accepted as a way to, you know, improve your life, to stop reacting negatively to things that, that you might have reacted negatively to before. Yeah. So, and I think that's, the, you know, tinnitus is the perfect testing ground for that the perfect proving ground because essentially if you can habituate to um anything negative in your life mm -hmm. you can be resistant to yes. trauma basically yes and and that makes you then happier yeah, it you more, it, 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 yeah. It, it means that you're more in control mm. of how you react to an unpleasant stimuli and and often with an unpleasant stimulus it's the reaction to it that makes it so unpleasant. Yeah, 